Hello and welcome to the PitchCast. I'm your host, Matt Honkinen. COVID-19 has flipped our whole world upside down. And what that means for the PitchCast is no longer can I have folks in the studio sitting with me on the couch. We have to do this thing remotely, which sucks. Thank God we have technology, Zooms, Facebook, whatever, FaceTimes, Google Meets, Hangouts. So it's a brave new world, but it's time that we got this thing restarted. And who better to kick this thing back into gear than the lovely, uber-talented Lila Honecker. Lila and I got to know each other really well doing the first season of the Tennessee Theater Podcast. If you haven't listened, I highly recommend it. It's everywhere you find podcasts. Give it a spin. Lila's one of those people who you know in Knoxville. And if you don't know, certainly your friends know. She's hardworking. She's crazy talented. She puts people first and her knowledge of music is jaw dropping. The conversation we had yesterday was so refreshing. I can't wait for you to hear it. So without further ado, Miss Lila Honecker. Lila Honecker, it's a pleasure to have you on the PitchCast. You were my very first interview during quarantine, so congratulations. Well, that's very exciting. I'm very honored. Let's start. I think most people hearing this will already know who you are, but let's start by just the elevator background of what you do, why you're in Knoxville, who you are, and how people might know you. Sure. So I'm the director of marketing and outreach for the Tennessee Theater. I've been there for about five and a half years, which has been a great five and a half years. But I've actually been in Knoxville this year, like 20 years, which is crazy. It's hard to believe I've been here this long. So I grew up in Abingdon, Virginia and moved here to go to the University of Tennessee. was going to come here, go to school and then promptly leave. But here we are almost 20 years later, uh, which tends to be a common story 20 years doesn't feel real <laughs> it doesn't feel real and i honestly like i think about it and i'm like how am i old enough to have been anywhere for 20 years in adulthood like it's it's mind-blowing to me honestly it's funny that you said like I, I have a similar thought about knoxville i came here for school and had no other plans for this town and this town kind of just grabs hold of certain people i don't know what it is no, that's true. And I can remember being in school at UT and we would have like speakers come in, right? To like student groups or whatever. And I remember these people would come in and everybody had this similar story about how they never meant to stay here, but they did, or they left and they came back. And I remember thinking like, why, do, why does everybody say this? Now I'm like, oh my gosh, like I get it. Like there is something about Knoxville. There's like this stickiness to it. Um, and now I've known so many people who stayed who didn't mean to stay or who have left and who end up coming back. So there's like this, uh, I always tell people it's kind of like a Bermuda triangle. Like you just either, you kind of get stuck here or you're like a boomerang. Like if you do get out, like something like sucks you back in. So it's a weird phenomenon. All right. So speaking of Knoxville, you are one of a very small group of people that I kind of consider to be a big connector in Knoxville. And I don't think that happens without the type of personality that you've got. I think there's a common trait in people who know everybody. Uh, they're a certain kind of open to the way they approach relationships. I just wondered if you had any insight to the way you treat people 
that makes you a connector. Like you really, I feel like when I, when I mention your name, almost certainly the other person's going to go, Oh God, I love Lila. Why, why is that? Why, why do you know so many people? Do you make it a point to reach out and, and get to know as many people as you can? Does it come naturally? What's, what's kind of your take on it? It's, um, it's interesting that you say that. So the funny, the funny answer is that there are other people, particularly people who don't live here, but who come to visit me and we go out in Knoxville and they're like, Oh my gosh, you know, everybody, like, how do you know everybody in this town? And my funny answer is that I usually say, well, when you've lived here for 20 years in a town this big, like this is what you get. Right. And that's sort of my like brush off answer to that question. But I think the real answer to that question is I think part of it is just sort of naturally who I am and that I am a people person. And, you know, I remember growing up and being with my dad and we would go out and move through the world. And it's like, my dad knew no stranger, you know, like he, everywhere we went, you know, he would strike up a conversation and I can remember, you know, we would go somewhere. My mom and I would be, he was a, he was a people person and that he would sit and watch. So he would literally sit on a bench the entire time we were somewhere. Like if we went to the mall for hours, he would sit on a bench and just watch people and watch people move through the world. But sometimes we would go off and do our thing and we'd come and we meet back up with him and he'd be in this like conversation with somebody. And I'm like, how do you know that person? He was like, oh, met him like five minutes ago. And I'm like, what? So I think a lot of it is just sort of like truly, truly natural, right? And in, in that my dad was very much that way. But I think that I think that I have a natural curiosity about people. Like I just love knowing who people are and what makes them tick and how they you know, see the world and what matters to them. And so I think that part of it, you know, it's one thing to sort of just kind of know people because you're, whether it's your personal and professional circles sort of overlap with these people. And that happens a lot too, right? So I think that just in the roles that I've had in Knoxville professionally, I've been able to meet a lot of people. But then I think there's the other element of like this true connection and like really wanting to really know people. And so it's not just, you know, a surface level. Oh, that's Johnny who works at wherever, you know, but it's like, oh, that's Johnny. Yeah. Like he used to do this in his life and, you know, he has two kids and he cares about these things. And, and so I think for me, it's that deeper connection to people that for some reason has I don't know. I don't know. It feels like the deeper connection to people has also meant more connections. I don't know if that, if that translates, but that's just kind of how I, how I feel. And I do think that relationships are so important, both professionally and personally. And so I just think it's important to sort of have those relationships and, and know people and, and know where they come from and, and just rely on people and have people rely on you. Cause at the end of the day, it's all about people, you know, like yeah. we, can't, we can't move through the world without these relationships and, and people. And so I think I prioritize and value those in a way that shows up in my life as, as you've mentioned. And I appreciate that. Yeah. It's beautiful. And I've, I've always kind of had the motto of like, if I have to do something for a job, I want to find the things that I enjoy about it anyway. Right. Like I'm going to be if I'm going to be working with, you know, this person or this brand or whatever, I want to find something in addition to the work that I like, you know, like I'm going to spend my hours doing this thing. Let's get to know this person. Let's get to know these people that I get to, to be around. And, and then it becomes a privilege on top of work. And that yeah. to me 
that that's the golden the golden scenario is working for someone that you also want to hang out with that to me is is the golden scenario i'm curious about something you said you said you like to get to know somebody do you have that same approach to your knowledge about music because that's another big thing i know about you is how deep your musical knowledge goes does that same thing apply to a person as it does a record when you approach music and you approach it from that like almost investigative standpoint is is that a similar thing i think it is in a lot of ways in that if i discover a new album or a new artist who's actually been around for a long time you know whether it's decades or whatever but if i sort of come across somebody who's been around and i'm like i'm just not hearing about this person Usually the first thing I do is I Google them and I try to figure out who are they? What have they done? Like, how could I have known about them that I don't already, you know? And so I, I kind of do a little bit of that kind of backgrounding and just kind of figuring out who they are. But even if it's somebody that I'm familiar with and it's a new record, I'll take Fiona Apple's new record as an example. Huge Fiona Apple fan. I will tell you that that title, her first record was my first CD that I ever purchased with my own money. And I listened to that record every single day for over a decade. I would go to sleep with that record on like every night for like a decade. What were you looking for? I, because this, this was my next question. What was the first thing you bought, right? What were you looking for that you couldn't stop? I honestly don't think it was so much of what I was looking for, but what she delivered that I didn't even think that I needed. You know what I mean? Like, there was just something in her lyrics and the um, emotion that she sang with and the structure of the music. Like there was something in that that was completely new for me, right? Like I had never heard anything like it. I had never experienced anything like that. It's totally different music than what I had listened to at that point because I was in high school. I can't remember exactly how old I was, but I was in high school when that record came out. So it was very much a, whoa, like there's this whole other kind of music out there, right? And so I just, I totally, I wasn't looking for it, but she delivered something that I just didn't know that I needed or wanted, you know, which I think is a beautiful thing. So when this new record came out, you know, because she's not had a record out in a long time, and I've followed her career, and, you know, I've listened and loved every record that she's put out, and I've been anxiously and eagerly awaiting like this one. So when I heard that it was coming out, I already started doing some research of like, you know, what has she been doing and why is it taking this long and that sort of thing. And then, you know, now that it's come out, I, I haven't gone back and read all of them, but I'm trying to find all the articles and interviews that she's done around this record because I want to discover a little bit more, but I wanted to, I wanted to sit with the record a little bit longer before I dive into it because I kind of wanted to formulate my own thoughts or ideas and create my own sort of relationship with this new record before I go back and discover like her thoughts about it. And I've already read a couple small things. So I'm still, I'm still spending time with the record, but I definitely, I definitely want to know more because it has been so long since she's come out with something and she's such an interesting person. And on a related, but sort of a side note, you know, I listened to her for so long it was the mid-2000s, and she came to the Tennessee Theater, and I was like, oh, my gosh, Fiona Apple at the Tennessee Theater. And I was, like, blowing my mind. I'm like, I'm going to get to see her live. And I went to see her live, and it was the craziest performance. Did you happen to go to that show? 
I didn't go. I deeply wanted to. Was that during like the Idler Wheel record, or was that Extraordinary Machine? I was think it, it was. I think it was Extraordinary Machine. Uh, two thousand ten, sometime like that, or two thousand. No, it was somewhere between two thousand five and seven. I think it was two thousand six. Okay, it might have been late two thousand five. But I was working for AC Entertainment at the time. So that's how I can kind of narrow it. Anywho, it was so weird because apparently she was sick, you know, and she's quirky. I mean, she's a quirky lady. She's very fascinating to me in that way. But there were just these moments where she would just go sit like on the drum stand and just sort of like detach from what was happening. And she kind of bent over and put her head, you know, kind of between her legs. And she left the stage a couple of times, if I remember correctly. And I just remember thinking like, whoa, is this like a cat power kind of thing where like live performance is like so much for her that she like can't really handle it, which I hadn't heard about Fiona, but I was like watching this happen and I'm like, whoa, this is so weird. Um, and then I found out later that she wasn't feeling well. So I think that it truly was, you know, just a, a strange and carved out performance of, of her life. <laughs> but, um, but it was just an interesting you know, interesting experience to see her and that be what I got. I am very jealous that you've seen her live. She's got that thing though, man. She's got that like, that like can't sit still, like that, that mystique of like, she's such a peculiar person that it makes the rest of it so much more alluring to me. Oh yeah. It's like you hear the music and it speaks for itself. Yeah, and you see her in interviews, and you you read about how like reclusive she can be, and that to me just makes all of it even more tasty. And man, yeah. we could talk about this for five hours, but "Fetch the Ball Cutters" that title track reduced me to nothing. I mean, just there's just something about like it's not just the atmosphere of the track or the lyrics of the track or anything, but I feel like I've been trying to write that record my whole life. And I feel like she distilled it into this beautiful, just exploration of finding your own voice. When you have these high school, you know, your early, your most formidable years where people are just telling you what to be and who to, and what to do and how to feel, or that you're weird or that you're not pretty enough or that you're not strong enough or smart enough. Like all of us have that demon. And I feel like she describes it in, truly a unique way in 2020 which how many people have done that same thing and i feel like she cut to it just so surgically with that track i mean it's i i genuinely feel like it's the best thing she's done yeah it's almost like all the records that she's made to this point have sort of all led her here right like i feel like there's something about this record that feels like there are pieces of all the ones that came before in a lot of different ways. So it almost like it truly feels like sort of this like culmination, right. Of her career and her life and her, you know, just musical outlet. And so that's what I'm trying to kind of like that little nugget. I'm trying to, to kind of sit with a little bit before I go back and read all these interviews and um, stuff, because I kind of want to like really try to figure that out for myself before I see what she has to say about that, you know, but yeah, there's definitely this, I don't know. It's like this culmination, but I will say I love this new record and I'm still, you know, I'm still getting to know it. And I actually took a drive over the weekend just to listen to it in the car. Cause I do like my best listening, you know, to a record in the car. So like I drove like 
Oak Ridge, Clinton, you know, made this big loop listening to this record. But I, I will say as much as I love this record, I still have this super tender, special place in my heart for title. Like, I don't think, it, you know, and it's probably because it was, it was the first record of hers that I discovered. It was also like that first piece of music that I found that broke me out of everything I knew before, you know, but there's just something about title that just will always and forever just sit with me. And I'm like, I don't know that she could, and maybe she'll surprise me one day, but I'm like, I'm not sure if there's anything she can do that will break me open the way title did, you know, but I think it's also, again, just kind of part of that, like overall role that it played in my life. Criminal got stuck in my brain for that whole year i mean and th- there's that whole album is is deep but man i mean i don't think anyone ever forgets their first experience with an artist of that caliber right like mm-hmm. who else was doing that at the time no, no one was doing that at the time yeah and it is it, it is your first is always hard to even if you do hear something that inevitably is quote unquote better or whatever it's your first man like it's not gonna no, nothing's gonna top that <laughs> right it's like that lyric the first cut's always the deepest right and i feel like that's true for your musical experiences too like you'll never forget you'll never forget that first one as many as you may have after like that first one so you mentioned your dad was a little bit of a guide with the way you were interested in people did you have that person in music did you have someone who kind of handed you the first record and said hey you know like here's a whole world well can i have three answers to this question is that okay you know honestly my dad was my first entry into music in that my dad was a huge music lover Um, My dad played music. And so my entire childhood, like I have so many memories of him, like sitting and playing guitar and it's just me and him. Like we're just hanging out. And we had this peach tree in the front yard and there's this wooden swing under the peach tree. And like, if it, if it was nice outside, my dad was always in that swing in the peach tree with a guitar and I would go and sit in the swing and we'd swing for hours and he would just sing, you know, these songs. And so it was, you know, really discovering music in general through him, both in, you know, his playing and then in the car, you know, he was always playing music in the car. We had a record player. We have, I should, I should also preface this to say I had a stay at home dad. So like, <laughs> there's a lot, you know, I spent a lot of time with him. So we spent a lot of time with music, but I can remember having dance parties in the living room. Like he would throw him on. The song that I remember the most is the Everly Brothers on the Wings of a Nightingale but he would put that record on and we would just like dance around the uh, you know, around the living room. So he was my first entry into music in general. And I think he really introduced me to the love of music and the joy of music and helped me put music in my life in a big way from the beginning, you know, honestly. So he was a big influence just in terms of like music is part of my life from the beginning. Like it has always been, part of me. And then I had two older brothers, Greg and Daniel, who were also musicians. They were 16 and 17 when I was born. So my dad, it was a classic country, right? Like my dad, it was always classic country. He was a huge Johnny Cash fan, but I grew up listening to like Johnny Cash and Don Williams and the Everly Brothers, which is a little outside the country music genre. Um, But Merle Haggard, you know, all those guys, Chris Christopherson. 
And then my brothers, like being in their 20s when I was like old enough to really listen to music, you know, they were in bands playing rock music and they both loved 80s hair bands. So I was getting like the classic country from my dad and then I'm getting like Skid Row and Motley Crue and Kiss and Faster Pussycat and all these bands from my brothers. And so like as a kid, like I'm in elementary school and middle school, well, all my like friends are listening to like, you know, 80s and 90s pop music. And I'm like, oh, you know, classic country or like hair band rock and roll. So it was like a weird experience as a kid growing up in that. And my brothers, like I remember being a kid and going to clubs to see them play. And of course, I'm the only kid in the whole place because these are rock clubs. You've got to be 18 to get in. But I was like kid sister. I remember like crimping my hair and doing funny hair stuff so I can go see my brothers play rock and roll and being in the, you know, backstage. And so I kind of got, I kind of got opened up to the performance aspect of music through my brothers from them playing and, you know, me sort of being a little sister kind of following along and going to their shows and then just knowing that they were out, you know, playing music at clubs or whatever. So they sort of opened me up to the performance side of music, I guess. And like that being like something that you do or something that you can't experience this live music aspect. So really family was the first and foremost, like conduit to all of this. Right. But then I think from there, I think they sort of laid the groundwork of like, this is music. It's important. It's awesome. This is how you make it part of your life. This is how you can experience it. This is how you can be a part of it. So I got all that groundwork. So then like when I was in high school, that's when I started, you know, discovering on my own. And I remember my, my way of doing that was I, I joined the BMG music club, right? Which is like mail order CDs. And so I think I got, I can't remember now exactly what it was, but it was like 10 or 12 CDs, right? For like a penny, like the first time you order CDs. And so I'm just like going through the catalog and I'm like, figuring out like new people, right? Like I didn't want to order stuff that I knew or like, and maybe I did a little bit, but for the most part, it's like, oh my gosh, like there's this huge catalog of music and I get to choose anything I want. Like, what do I choose? And so, you know, I just remember going through and at that point we didn't have the internet. So I couldn't like sample anything or Google or whatever. It was all just like what it sounded like or if it was an interesting band name or an interesting title or if they said, you know, if you like so-and-so, you might like so-and-so. So then I think, yeah, high school, it kind of became my own just sort of exploration of finding music and both recorded. And then when I got into college, that's when it really became about like going to see live music and really seeking that out and discovering new artists and up and coming artists and, and all of that. I, I love so much about what you said. My, mine started in the family also, but I feel like it's my duty to start people on that path as early as I can, like give them something that's just going to crack their head open because it's for me. And I know that this is, you know, something I'm passionate about, but it's really depressing when people don't have that exploratory mindset about it to me, like when they get stuck in a genre or they get stuck in a style of like a safety net, especially in younger folks. Like I like to see people that just like, you don't know heavy metal. We'll get to know it, you know, get to know hip hop, get to know classical. Like there's, there's so much to be had from every single genre that it's 
my mission, I feel like with younger kids to try to keep them from getting stuck. Go out there, go out there and experience what music has to offer you. Transitioning it to, you know, your brother's playing live, like the recorded realm and the live performance realm. You can get so many things from both of them. You know, when you think about live performance, what's the reason you go see an act? What's the reason that, you know, listening to title at home and then going and seeing Fiona at the Tennessee Theater? Like, what, what are you looking for when you go? Why do you go? Why do you have a career where you do that now? I think first and foremost, it's the energy, right? Like you can absolutely, and I do every day, like I listen to music all the time, right? And in, in, in different environments in different ways, but like, and I feel, you know, like I feel things when I'm listening to music at home, in the car, but I just have my earbuds in, you know, whatever, like I feel it. But when you go to a live show, like there's just this different level of energy. And I think it comes from sort of the back and forth of the performer, the collective energy of the room. But I think the thing that I appreciate the most is the energy that I can see and feel from the performer. You know, like I can listen to a song a thousand times and it will make me feel a certain way. But then I can go see that person perform it live. And it's just this, like, I can feel what they're feeling, you know, like there's this whole nother level of just like attachment to that song and understanding of that song that you can only get in live performance. So that's probably first and foremost, it's just that energy and just, you know, feeling and seeing the emotion of the performer. And then I think sort of secondary to that is just the spin that people make on live performance you know like every song is a little different when it's live like you know some people take that to more extremes than others right like some will pretty much play it and sing it as they did in the recording studio but then you've got other people who will like totally change it up and so i think there's a little bit of like a pandora's box of like oh is it going to be the same is it going to be different you know and there's certain artists that i've seen dozens of times and it's like they'll play a song, you know, every one of those shows and every single time it's a little bit different. And so I think the, the element of surprise in a live performance um, is the second thing that, that drives me to it because you don't really know exactly what you're going to get. Have you been surprised by a live performance? Like maybe somebody you didn't really care to see before and you saw them and it was amazing or vice versa. Somebody you were thrilled about and then the live show was, was not at all what you expected. Um, yes, there is. It is an artist that he's a legend. I've already put a gender on it, but he is a legend and somebody that I heard about, you know, long before I really knew his music. He's one of those people you, I think pretty much everybody has heard his music just because it's out there in the world and it's hard to avoid. But I really got into him in a college and uh, when he came to the Tennessee theater, I got so excited because I'm like, I'm finally going to get to see this person live. Like this is a legendary guy. Like he means so much to music. I'm like, yes, I'm going to get to see him. So I go to the Tennessee theater, see him and he never acknowledged the audience. He never really spoke between his songs. I mean, he could have been playing to an empty room and nobody would have known the wiser. And I just remember thinking like, dang, like, does he even care that we're here? And like, and going back to that, you know, energy of the performance, it's like, 
I mean, it honestly felt like there was this barrier between audience and the artist in that case, because he never even engaged with us. And I just remember thinking, man, I expected so much from this and it's not what I got. And then the other side of it is that like, you know, all the songs that you know and you love and you're like ready to hear, it's like he played them. But it took me like 30 seconds into a song and I was like, oh, that's what this is. Okay. So it was just like completely unexpected in all of the ways. And I was just like, oh, not, not, what, I, not what I thought I was going to get. So that was very surprising to me. It's so depressing too, especially if it's somebody whose records mean a lot, you know? You go see him, right. and you're just like, oh, you could. It's like having dinner with somebody, and they're facing away the entire time. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say, I I left that performance, and I thought, you know, what? he's probably one of those people that I just need to listen to his recorded music, and I just need to like, you know, like I I went, I tried it. It wasn't it wasn't for me. So I'm just going to continue to listen to his recorded music and be happy with that. And he's actually come back to town a few times since then. And other people have gone um, and, and he has done a better job um, in other performances. So he's one of those like Pandora's box. Like you really just don't know what you're going to get when you go to see him. I, I like rolling the dice on those too. Cause there's, there's a short list of artists who all fit into that category of like, man, I saw them in California and it was the worst show I ever saw. But then my buddy saw him in New York and it's the best show they've ever seen. Like, yes, yes. Musicians are moody. I get it. <laughs> yeah. Also, I'm not playing 300 shows a year. I don't know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> he might have just had a horrible dinner that night. Like, I, right. I, and um, he's not a spring chicken either. So, like, <laughs> I also fully acknowledge that, like, energy and you know feeling good and feeling like talking i understand and to be completely honest like i feel like he's also one of those people where in some ways and i know people don't always feel the same way i do about this but like in some ways i'm like he's earned the right to like if he doesn't want to talk to somebody he doesn't need to talk to somebody you know but i think that as a fan i think you just have to understand that going in and kind of know what you're getting into and i didn't know that the first time um, so I think now if I, if I were to go back to see him, I think I would be a little bit more primed for the experience. All right. So I don't want to talk in depth about COVID. I feel like we're all very aware of what's, what's happened and, and, and so forth and so on. But what is the current state? Like you're, you and Becky and the team at the Tennessee Theater are in the heart of this new reality. What what do you see is the, the future of, of gathering people together? I mean, what is live entertainment, even in the short term? And I know this is hard to talk about because two days from now we could have a vaccine. Like nobody knows the future, but you know, you're so ingratiated in the Tennessee theater and in Bonnaroo and in live, live entertainment. How do you see our immediate future looking? Yeah, it's a great question. And you're right. Like nobody knows, right? Like what I thought I knew three weeks ago is not what I think I know today. And I fully acknowledge that that will continue to change. But I think what we can all agree on, and I think that everybody can acknowledge is that things are going to be different. You know, now how long they're going to be different, that's hard to say, you know, but I think that, I mean, immediately the thing that is, very obvious is that you know live music has come to a complete halt bars and theaters and venues aren't even open artists aren't touring 
you know, I think there's just this immediate, immediate halt. And I think that that's going to have a few different impacts. I mean, obviously from an economic standpoint on both sides of the equation, from the artist standpoint, from the venue crew production, you know, promoter side, either side of the table, you know, there's definitely going to be the economic impact. And I think that that's going to be huge. I mean, people are, are already feeling it. And I think that the longer that we can't have live music, obviously the harder that that's going to be, but you know, I, I think that, and I don't know what it looks like, but I feel like at least for the immediate future, when we are able to come back together, I think that the experience is going to look and feel different. And it's like, I, I think about that and I'm like, so are we going to be, you know, is everybody like most people going to be like wearing masks when we're at this live music, music event? And, you know, are people going to be behaving differently? I read this uh, article that a guy who wrote, who had done a lot of research, but, you know, he was sort of saying that, you know, you go to a, he was talking about concerts and sporting events specifically. And he's like, you go and people are yelling. Right. And so like when you're yelling, like you're projecting particularly droplets for a very far, you know, space. And so he was sort of like talking about like live, live events and sporting events are sort of like one of these areas where you are just behaving in a way you don't even behave in your everyday life and in a way that is probably more risky. So, but I mean, who can imagine going to any of those events and not yelling and cheering and being engaged in that way? I forget who I was talking to this morning about heading down to the Tennessee theater and having to be six feet apart with a mask on at a show. Like just how surreal that sounds. Right. Yeah, it does. It totally sounds surreal. And like, I think about that world, like even as I go to the grocery store now and I'm getting, I'm getting used to it now, but it's like the first few visits to the grocery store when I would go and people are wearing masks and gloves. Like I just remember thinking like, this is the real world. Like this is where we're like, this is real. Like this isn't some, you know, hypothetical movie. This isn't like, this is this is life. Like right now, this is life. And I remember thinking how strange it was. And even going back to the earlier conversation of relationships, one thing that I've noticed is when you're having a conversation with somebody and three quarters of their face is covered and you're only looking at their eyes, I think the eyes are most important. However, there is a, to me, there is definitely a loss of communication when you aren't able to see people's full face, you know? And I think part of it is that sort of like feeling of hiding or like not truly being seen or seeing. So there's kind of that, but I only say that to say, like, I think about just like, as you say, like being at these experiences where it's all about the shared experience and everybody, you know, smiling and laughing and having a good time and you're able to look around the room and see that on everyone's faces so to look around a room i mean you smile with your eyes they say however you know you're you're at the at the end of the day you're losing you know three quarters of expression how's that going to change the feeling you know like is it going to make it less enjoyable or is it just going to be different or are people just going to like go inward and like they're just going to have this full experience for themselves 
and the environment around them isn't going to be as much of a part of that, you know? You said something that I've never thought of before. You said you said it's risky, right? Like being at, especially now, being at a live event and, and having people yelling behind you and spitting on your back and everything. I've never thought of it as a risky thing, but it is now. And yeah. it's, it's kind of, you know, when you if you imagine like, I'm going to go see this rock show and it's risky. like it maybe was before in a superficial way, like, ah, yeah, you're bucking the norm and you're going to a punk show or whatever, a heavy metal show or a live performance or whatever. Now it legitimately is, you know, yeah. and maybe that's maybe by having people with their masks on it, it, the experience goes from being like risky and unabashed and you let your guard down to now being kind of sanitized. You have to yeah. kind of, be conscious the whole time of yourself and your safety and your distance around people. And those are things that would have never entered my mind before. You know, I would be, I'd be totally into the artist and the, the communication between the crowd and the band. And, you know, depending on who it is, like, is it, are we having a mosh pit? Are we dancing? <laughs> right. Uh -huh. Are we doing like, those things are so different now. Yeah, totally. Totally. It's like the things that you thought about before when it came to live events like that, you know, like going to a football game or a club show, you're like, oh, is this guy behind me going to spill beer on my back or whatever? And it's like, now, like those things seem a little trivial, you know, when you're really thinking about uh, the world that we're in right now. So, you know, I think from that perspective, like things are going to change, you know, and it's, it's it's an interesting exploration to think about the many different ways that they could be. I've spent some time thinking about that. Like, you know, it could look like this or it could look like that or what have you. But I think the thing that gives me pause and the thing that I really hope is that the human element isn't removed from those experiences. Because again, the reason why I go to live shows and I think the reason why so many people go to live shows is that shared experience and that energy. And so, you know, if we're moving in through the world in a way where that connectivity is broken, it's not going to be the same. Um, and I hope that in this new world, we can find ways to keep that connectivity, even though it's going to be different, at least for the foreseeable future. And like everything else, I think it's like a matter of just figuring out what that looks like. You know, we've figured out how to homeschool our children. I figured out how to work from home. We figured out, you know, how to spend time that we didn't have before and how to be with our spouses or partners that we weren't with that often before. And so we figured out all these other things. So my hope is that we can figure out how to enjoy these experiences that are all about bringing people together in a way that is just different than it's been before, but still, you know, as meaningful and valuable. Amen. That's beautifully said. I mean, it, it's, you don't realize how much you need it until you don't have it. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I have been jokingly saying that I hate video calls. Like I just, Throughout my entire life, anytime somebody tried to FaceTime me, I would always decline it and just be like, just call me, man. Like, I'll see you in five minutes. Right. It's, it's all I can do just to, like, be on the phone and see somebody else's face. Like, it's crazy. It's crazy the need, the, the deep set need to just have that, that commune and that, that seeing people smiling and seeing people around you. Like, I, I, I don't think we can go much longer without it. 
you know, yeah. we have to kind of adapt it in a way that, that still maintains the humanity, like you were saying. Like, there's the safety. There have been so many positives to this, too. There's been so many positives to the things that we've learned how to protect ourselves and protect our businesses and and things like that. But But, man, thank God we miss the human touch, you know? Thank God that's still there, and thank God that we all we all need it that much. Right. Yep. Yep. It's like one of those things. It's like, dang, I never knew how much a a hug, like how good it felt, you know, until you don't get it for a long time. And yep. Um, yeah. It's it's you're right. Like you don't really you don't miss the water till wells run dry, right? And then you're like, ah. it's the truth. It's the truth. Yeah. It really has made me kind of reconsider everything I love about this art form. About you know the it's a wonderful time for creating music. It's a yeah. deeply wonderful time for, you know, being at home and focusing your craft and, and whatever your craft is. Um, but yeah, that li- that live celebration element, man, it's a, it's a worse world without it. Yeah. Well, I think, I think one of the things too, one of the beautiful things for me that has come out of this too, and we see this, you know, we see this in a lot of different ways, but I feel like it's, it's been very obvious through this pandemic is that how much we need the arts and how much we turn to the arts for joy and comfort. It's like everybody is, you know, all these artists are creating new music or they're doing live streams or what have you, or, you know, you've got people coming together from all walks of life and doing these like zoom choirs. And it's like of all the things that people need or people want to do during this time, you see this huge flourish of the arts, you know, and even, um, and not just performing arts, but you know, there are a lot of people who have gone back to painting or drawing or, I mean, heck, look at all the people sewing masks right now. Like that's an art form, right? Like, so I think that it, it, we can't we can't hide the fact that when trouble is bound, like people would turn to art for joy and comfort and as a way to get them through. And so, you know, I'm grateful for that. I'm hopeful for that. And, you know, I just think that when we're able to sort of come out of this, you know, we will be able to appreciate arts in community in a way that we Maybe not in a way that we didn't before, but with sort of this newfound appreciation for it, you know? Yep. You and I, being that we are very often at shows because we're working them, you know, we, we joke every now and then like, yeah, I don't, I don't care to go see another show right now. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and you imagine the first show after this, like the gratitude from the audience, the gratitude from the artist, like working again, right? Like that's... Yeah talk about not taking something for granted now, you know, like being able to, the pleasure of being able to go get a meal and then go to a venue like the Tennessee theater and see an artist perform. Like I'll never take for granted again. Yeah. Yeah. And I look forward to doing it again very soon. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I'll be, I'll be happy when, when we can do that again. And you know, it's, I've spent a lot more time in an empty theater now than I, uh, I was going to say than I ever have maybe in, in, um, close proximity. Right. Like, so for the last, what, I don't know, how long has it been? Eight weeks, 10 weeks. I don't even know. However long it's been, you know, I've, I've been in that theater 
and it's been empty and there's something really special about the theater when it's empty there's just this i don't know there's just this spiritual sort of feeling you know it's quiet and you can just kind of take it all in and i appreciate that so much and i've really been able to like experience that in such a way over the last few weeks but at the same time it's like you also look at the theater and you think oh man it's like she has to be missing the people and the energy and and the reason why she was ever built you know i'm sure that the tennessee theaters could be really happy to to be filled once again with with smiling faces and people having a good time it's a beautiful beautiful way to end this thank you so much for taking the time um and i know that the tennessee theater is in the best of hands and that we will be in it again well thank you we are very much looking forward to opening the doors and welcoming everybody back in and thanks for having me today this is fun 